and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, superstars. I hope you're having an awesome day so far. It has been a whirlwind for the last couple of weeks over here. In fact, I've just returned from an unexpected trip to Fiji where my daughter's kidney disease flared up on day two of a school trip. And let me tell you, it was a moment of overwhelm and fear. The minute I heard she was sick, I could not get on a plane quick enough. And when I arrived in Fiji, there was an eight-hour wait for the next plane to get to her. So instead, typical Isle style, I found a bus and jumped on that to travel five hours to get around to cuddle her. But what I didn't realize and what probably all of you guys know (laughs) is that when you're a no-show for a flight, they cancel all your other flights. So they canceled all my flights to return home. Anyway, this was just the start of many adventures and funny stories that unfolded over the next eight days. It was a great example of everything we have been discussing in the last six weeks in our resilience course, Surviving to Thriving. And where I ended up getting to in my mindset was flipping that overwhelm and that fear and that gut-wrenching disappointment for my child into actually seeing it for what it was, which is she had the courage to go over there with the risk that she could get sick in another country and that she was truly living her life. So once I was able to flip that mindset, it really opened up my perspective. And the other thing that I took away from the eight days is how privileged we are here in Australia, the food, the medical care, the housing, just to name a few. So long story short, this is an experience that both my daughter and I are going to remember forever. Now, let me introduce you to the absolute rock star guest we have on today, Sally Douglas. We have a powerful conversation about grief and loss. In this episode, Sally shares her own heart-wrenching experience of losing her mum, Rose, suddenly in 2019. From being an expat, to receiving the final text message from her mum, she takes us through the surreal moment when her world shifted irreversibly. But it doesn't stop there. Together we explore the unspoken aspects of dealing with loss, the practical challenges, the physical toll it can take on us, and the emotional trauma that can linger. Sally is the author and co-founder of Good Morning, the movement that is changing how we think and talk about grief by humanizing the taboo topic. Along with her co-founder Imogen, who was on earlier on Challenges That Change Us, they decided to make it their mission to launch Good Morning as a platform for accessible grief support. Since launching their podcast, she has become one of the leading voices in grief education. The podcast has grown to be one of the top in the grief category and has built a community of over 150,000 and written a book. She is also a PR coach and consultant, helping purpose-driven brands to be seen and heard. Let me introduce you to the girl herself, Sal. Welcome, Sal, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for coming on this morning. Hey, Ali. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. 
It's our second time round. We had Sal on a little while ago with Imogen, but we couldn't get the audio, which I actually think is going to be a bit of a blessing in disguise because we got to hear Imogen's story and now we can actually hear your story. So Imogen and Sal have a podcast. Good morning. It's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. For those of you that haven't listened, you need to jump on and check that out. I was saying to the girls, they also have written a book, which we'll talk about at the end, but I read that book from front to cover and just found it so valuable, so helpful with so many insights and resources. And, you know, we'll make sure that's in the show notes and we will talk about all of that at the end. But Sal, the starting question is, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? If I was an animal, I would be a penguin because I'm curious, very curious by nature and I'm really social like a penguin. I used to think it would be a sloth, but actually I'm quite energetic and quite active. So I think a penguin better suits me. Actually don't know a lot about penguins. Have they got a really curious nature? Yeah. 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 They're pretty cool animals. They're one of my favorites to look at at the zoo. You know how you have your favorite and you wait and you get around there. Penguins are one one of mine. I don't know why, but I guess because I don't see them, you know, in the wild being living in New South Wales and Australia, you know, you don't see anything like that. Yeah, they're probably like the furthest from the Australian habitat, aren't they, penguins? But yeah, they're very social, highly curious. So I think I would be a penguin for sure. And they're cute, so. (laughs) We've brought you on today to have a chat about your own personal story and some of the challenges that you've needed to navigate along the way. The place to start might be like back at the beginning. My journey with grief and how I came to do the work that I do with Good Morning started in November 2019. My mum, Rose, died suddenly from something called SUDEP, which stands for Sudden and Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. She was healthy other than having epilepsy. She was 64 and I was supposed to talk to her the night before and then I woke up the next morning from a call from her partner to say that she passed away and it just shook me to my core because we don't expect to lose the people that we love in an instant, right? But also it's the realization of how fragile life can be and as an expat, living on the other side of the world, you know, I think one of the payoffs when you move somewhere so far away is not being there when somebody you love dies. And for me, I had to go back to the UK pretty much within 24 hours. And that was really where my journey began. Prior to losing mum, I worked in PR. I still do. Had a career in PR and it, it actually just it, it changed my life on so many levels. And what's really interesting and really serendipitous about mum's passing is that the night before she died, she actually sent me a text message. And it was the final message that I ever received from her. And it was an article that was in The Guardian about a hairdresser who cuts hair for free for people in need. And in a former life, many years ago, I was a hairdresser. And she sent me this beautiful message that said, you know, I can see you doing something like this person with your kind heart, helping others in this kind of way. Forgive me, it's, you know, I'm being self-indulgent, but this is my fantasy for you. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that I have that message to look back on 
but also it's one of those messages that's just it's very poignant and it's not the sort of message that you normally get as a last message from someone it has a lot of meaning behind it but yeah I just wanted to share that because I think the experience of her dying led me to fulfill that wish of hers and that fantasy and so my story has a lot of yeah it's got a lot of meaning behind it because it's bittersweet because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now I wouldn't be here talking to you if mum hadn't have died but obviously I'm so sad that she passed away so so yeah November 2019 was when my world changed and I found myself on that flight back to the UK I don't know if you've done that flight before, the 24-hour flight. Only when I was really little, but my auntie and uncle have just come over. They're visiting us today and they've just done it. It's a big flight. It's a big flight. It's a bit of a drag at the best of times, Mm. let alone when you're on your way to bury your mum. And it was, I just remember being in that airport check-in queue and just everything just felt so surreal. I couldn't believe what lay ahead I was unprepared for what lay ahead and I just couldn't believe that this was my now my reality and yeah so that so so I found myself back in the UK I'd gone from being in sunny Sydney where it was you know November getting really warm to stepping off a plane miserable gray dark cold like and I had so much to do I had one of the things people don't talk about is exact is how much there is to do when someone dies. Often we think about the emotional pain and coping with the grief and the loss. But then on the other side, there's also a, a huge amount of admin and there's a, there's a lot to sort out, which can also be incredibly stressful. And that was a big part of my experience. And heading back over, I, like I'm just thinking as you say that, there's so many things that you're heading back over to, you know. It's an old world that used to be in. There's family and friends that you wouldn't have seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. There's the grief with your mom, And like you said, there's all the logistics and the organising and that, like, you know, it's really like you picked up from a world that you once knew and dropped into a world of chaos and a world of grief and a world of unknown and uncertainty. Totally. And when someone dies, suddenly it's like their life is left hanging in the balance. There's no preparation. Mm. So you almost like a detective, you know, you've got to try and find the pieces of the puzzle and figure out, okay, well, you know, little things like what kind of subscriptions did they have? Like, you know, what bank accounts they have, you know, like trying to find all of the information to piece together. Like, do they have a will? Where is the will? Like I spent so many days calling around, trying to figure out who wrote my mum's will. If she had a will, I'm pretty sure she did turn the house upside down, you know, and I found it eventually, but it's all of these things that we're just not prepared for. And I think often we don't expect to die suddenly. So we also don't perhaps talk about these things or have these uh, our affairs in order so and that's a huge stress and a huge trigger right every time you've got to call up somebody a bank or an institution to say that they've passed away you know that's again it's like it's, it's like a punch in the stomach because it's a reminder of what is happening and I think for me I was just in such shock that she'd gone and like you said like I was all of a sudden in this chaos of being back in the UK, which I hadn't been to for years. I was completely like disorientated. 
And the shock almost enabled me to get the stuff done because it was an auto, a sense of being on autopilot, which I think can be quite common for people experiencing grief. There is such a shock, especially when the loss is sudden. It's a bit of a cushioning for a while. It enables you to get stuff done because you're almost like running on like a, a, a adrenaline, really. And in a way, it's like you can feel like you're doing something. You know, if if you're attending to task and attending to logistics, it's like at least I'm doing something. I'm either keeping busy or I feel like I'm, you know, not just sitting around. Like there's no right or wrong and and I'm sure we'll get to this. Like there's no way to grieve. There's no like this is how you should grieve and this is how it should look and this is what you should expect, you know. Mm. It's so different and so unique for every person. And I often hear people say that like – that moment before the funeral and just after, it's so logistical that they didn't get time to take a breath. It is exactly like that. From my experience, like I literally had to get certain things done on that day. Otherwise, I wouldn't have time. Like, mm. And being in, in the UK and, and knowing that I had a deadline to come back to Australia, it was she died on the 20th of November. And so by the time I got back to the UK, like it was basically a month until Christmas. And so I was aware that people would be closing shop yeah. for Christmas. So there was a, there was a hard deadline. And so it was literally like ticking off a to-do list and going at such a pace that was like, it was all, all systems go. Cause there's so many things that come with, you know, there's, you've got to get the death certificate. You can't do anything until you've got that. And that's a process, especially in the UK. And then you've got things like closing all the bank accounts, letting people know, organising the funeral. Like there are so many logistical things that take time Mm. and take patience. And it was, yeah, it was absolutely exhausting. And it was, it was like minute to minute, there was something to do. And when you think back to that time for you, what was the hardest part, do you think? I think the hardest part was not being able to say goodbye and not being physically in the same country was really difficult to come to terms with. I felt a lot of guilt for a long time about being an expat and choosing to live over here. In fact, I remember the last time I saw my mum alive was April 2019. So only about six months before she passed away. And she'd spent a month in Australia. And I'll be honest, like our relationship wasn't always great. Like we had, it, we got closer as we both got older, but it wasn't always roses. And she did drive me nuts quite a lot of the time. And I remember the last time I saw her, she'd been with me for a month and I was pretty exasperated. And I practically bundled her into that Uber to get to the airport. I just needed to take a breath and have some space. Mm. I didn't know that was the last time I was going to see her alive. And and I really had to deal with, with the guilt that I felt around that and the guilt of what I could have done differently and the guilt of not being physically close to her and choosing to, to live over here. I think that, that was quite difficult to, to come to terms with. And then also what was very difficult was how physically, physically I felt my grief. It was exhausting. And it's something that people don't often talk or think about when it comes to grief. They think about all of the emotions and the emotional experience of grief, but it is so physical as well. And it is exhausting. You're running on the street the adrenaline, your stress response, you're almost in fight or flight mode and that drains your 
your energy levels. For me, and I, and I think it's the experience of a lot of people, especially when it comes to those initial kind of early days of a loss, when you are planning things like the funeral, you, you can't, you have to keep going. And so your battery is constantly depleted and doesn't have much time to fully recharge. So you're constantly just running on like 5% it can feel like. And that's really difficult as well, especially if people don't understand how grief impacts you physically. It's hard to articulate what's going on for you. You just feel like a total wipeout. But even you're not sure why, you know. I was just thinking that. I was thinking it's hard for others to understand. And it's also sometimes we don't stop and take a moment and take stock and think this is why I'm feeling this way. Or It's almost like, I ha- like you said, I have to push through. There's a deadline here. I have to get this done. There's no, I don't have time. I don't have time to stop. So yeah. therefore your body just has to keep going and going and going. And I think that's so common when we're in survival mode to push our body to its nth degree without realizing the impact it's having on us how much it's taxing. Yeah. And, and also because we don't talk about grief as openly as we should in society, we're just not like, we're not aware or educated on all of the ways that grief impacts us. So so we're not even aware of that grief might be the reason that we feel so exhausted Mm. or, or what's happening or how we can help ourselves. Yeah. It's just like, I feel completely depleted, but I can't stop. I've got to keep going. I didn't realize that the reason that I was so exhausted for like a good six months after mum died was because of the impact, the emotional trauma of grief. And I think people can judge themselves as well. They can judge themselves really hard on that. And when you say that, can you explain that a little bit more? Like, did you have judgment on yourself? Absolutely. I really judged myself as to why I felt like so lethargic all the time. I had to really push through I felt like I was just operating as a different person and I really judged myself that I couldn't run at the same speed as before you know what's wrong with me why can't I have as much energy what's going on why do I just feel and also like you often feel like your sense of self changes it can impact your self-esteem because we're relational beings, right, as humans. And when you lose somebody, especially a primary attachment like a parent, then you lose like that mirror to yourself. It's like you lose that reflection and that sense of self. And for me, as well as feeling out of sorts, physically exhausted, just just slow, you know, like the sense of feeling slow, I also didn't feel like myself and my, my confidence was not. And so then I judged myself for that as well and not feeling like I was kind of bringing my my sort of best self or my mm. my natural self to conversations or, or situations. Do you think you were aware of it at the time or is this on reflection now you can see that? It's on reflection now mm. through the work that we've done through Good Morning that I can see that. At the time, I just judged myself for just just thinking, well, you've just changed. Almost sounds like I'm not good enough. You know, it's that old, that old chestnut of like, I'm not good enough. Like why I should be doing more. I, this isn't me. Like I'm not enough in the world for my friends, for connection, for my work. Yeah. And I just want to go back and be like, you are grieving and Mm. you are in such a early stage of grief, like give yourself a break. And I think Mm. we, we can judge ourselves really hard on, on these things. And And because there is that assumption that grief is something that we need to get over or move on from, 
we can kind of put a, a bit of a time frame against that as well and judge ourselves on that. Or we don't put a time frame on it as in we don't give ourselves time. <laughs> it goes the other way. We just, we don't even consider there's a time factor to it. Yes. I'm wondering, and she said that, you know, you, it was really beautiful when you said you wish you could go back and say that to yourself, mm-hmm. like give yourself time, like this is okay. Do you think you could have received that back then though? I think back then maybe not because it was that sense of wanting to know what was going on for me that propelled me to start Good Morning and to want to have more conversations about grief and loss. Now, as time's gone on, I have given myself that time knowing, but I think back then maybe I needed to want to find out the answers to why I was feeling so out of sorts physically and just in myself because that propelled me to to want to be able to have conversations with other people to find out what was going on with grief. Mm, and I think sometimes like I often think about it like kind of in three stages like you're surviving and you have to just do what you can right. Mm. It's like you almost buckle in and and that's that flight fight response you're talking about whether it be grief or trauma or adversity you know whatever it is that's coming away it's like I just got to get through with everything that I can right now like whatever resources are at my fingertips I'm going to use them and I'm going to just get by day by day, moment by moment. So you go from surviving into like striving where it's like you can take stock or you can take a moment and think, hang on, where am I at? Like you can look around and it's kind of like a storm. The storm's passed and things are broken or you're feeling broken or you're feeling deflated or, you know, it's like, God, I've got to pick up the pieces now. And that's when we start to get a little bit more of like a view over our lives or ourselves and think, hang on a second, I've just been living in this space and this chapter of survival. What do I need to do now? And it's like these baby steps, this like stumbling block of like, just trying to come back and then we can go into a space of thriving or growing or feeling like we have our sense of self back and we're a little bit more grounded and anchored. Totally. I love that analogy. I love the way you've just explained that and I think it is strapping in for it, right? That's exactly how I felt like when I was in those early stages and I, I remember calling my husband from the UK and saying like, I feel like I've got a mountain to climb and I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to do it. It feels enormous and overwhelming. Mm. And that survival mode can last for a while. Like for me, it was about six months, I think, like that shock, that autopilot, that exhaustion, that kind of just like how am I here like what what just happened like and the shock catches you off guard as well like you know that they've gone because the heartache is real and I know you'll know this Ali from your personal experiences like it aches it actually physically aches you can actually break it into right like it can feel like yeah something you've never ever experienced in your life before I often say that like it Grief with experience and more grief, it actually sometimes gets a little easier because you know the feeling. That first time you feel that feeling, it's like, what is this? Yes. Like I'm never going to get through this. I can't even imagine a world without this heaviness in my heart. Absolutely. And it is an ache. And I'm like, I get why it's called heartache now because it it, it Mm. aches. And you feel that heartache, but then also it's like a shock and you don't, it's like you can't quite comprehend they've gone. And that, yeah, that lasts a while, but then you do go into that mode. And and for me, after about six, seven months, it was that mode of like questioning and starting to want to understand what was going on, want that connection with others who were going through loss and and to, Mm. to find out what was happening for me and other people and 
and start having those conversations around grief. So it was that sort of phased approach, I think. And you said there, there's a few things that you've said, but one of them was you mentioned that you phoned your husband. Was he still back in Australia? Because that's challenging in itself, right? And that can happen with grief, especially when you're apart from someone and you lose someone. One of you need to go over and some of your family's not there or some of your support systems aren't there with you in that moment when you're when you're facing it head on and you're in the eye of the storm and it's you're in that heartache and that grief. Yeah. So he stayed in, in Australia for a couple of weeks because we've got two dogs and, and also he would have just been a, a spare part. I think I just kind of needed mm. to come over and just mm. and, and crack on. And then he came over for the funeral and it was good that it worked out that way. And I just, I'm just smiling at a memory that I have of him and me clearing my mum's house out. And again, on that time frame, like need to get it done. And I'm literally mm. like in like project management mode. We're just doing, like, I think we must've done about 30 trips in my mum's tiny little car to the, they call it the tip in the UK. Is that what they call it in Australia? Yeah. 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 And we're just like throwing things into the car, driving furiously, like the same route to the tip and just in the pouring rain and just like, just got to get this done. And, you know, you, you, at the time it's horrendous and you look back on it and go, God, that was actually quite, quite amazing that we got that done. But it was difficult being apart from him. And your people, I'd imagine, like you would have had support networks here in Australia. Yeah, but being from the UK, I had I had an incredible support network there and I had my family and so many friends and everyone rallied around. And actually when I came back to Australia, I was like, fuck, I've got such a good network in the UK. It made me feel mm. very, very appreciative of the people over there. I was able to cope without Ant, my husband, pretty well because I was so well supported over there. But it was challenging not having him here. For him as well, it was a massive shock because he was really close with my mum and it was like this bomb went off and then I'd gone and he was left mm. like here, like mm. trying to figure out what the hell just happened. I'm not around and that was actually difficult for him as well. And then the grief that he felt was was really challenging, being sort of le- left here alone. And that's another thing that we, I don't know that we speak about enough is how we experience grief differently to the person next to us when we're grieving for the same person and how challenging that can be. I know that's not what you were saying there, but, you know, we do, we all grieve so differently. Someone might be really fast paced and needing to do tasks and needing to get everything done and someone else might need everything to stop and they don't want to, they don't want another day to go by that we're change any more change. You're absolutely spot on. And that's a really big thing that can impact relationships, especially if you're in a or you're in a family unit and you're all grieving differently, it can be a huge source of fractured relationships, disagreements. We don't understand that there are different ways that we grieve or we can't understand why somebody's grieving differently to us. It can be really confusing. And Im and I have, we talk about this in our book, but we have different grieving styles. And although we weren't together when we lost our mums and we weren't friends then, in hindsight, we look at how we coped and, and could, can identify that that we were kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. So there's actually a theory called the intuitive and the instrumental grieving theory, which was coined by two researchers called Terry Martin and Kenneth Doka. It looks at like opposite ends of the spectrum. And so on one end of the spectrum, you've got what they call the instrumental griever, which is somebody like me who processes their grief by being practical, by getting things done, by maybe finding healing in process. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got what they call intuitive grievers. So that's more like Imogen, people who can't help but feel their emotions. They need to express what's going on for them. They need to talk about their grief. They find comfort in being with others and sharing their feelings. And story and just being in the experience and that. Yeah. As opposed to doing. Yeah. And so for Im... She struggled to do anything in terms of the practical stuff. And for me, I oscillated. I had moments where I felt like the the intuitive grief, but I was very much driven by getting things done. And, and, and most people are a blend of both. You might have moments where you're maybe leaning into one or the other. Some people might be on one end of the spectrum, but it's quite common to be a bit of a mix. But it's interesting when you know about the different grieving styles. There are a few out there. It helps you identify and look at people in your life and go, oh yeah, actually, I think maybe they are maybe a bit more of an intuitive griever. And it kind of gives, it can make things a bit easier for the dynamics of of relationships. Well, it puts framework around it Mm. because I always talk about when you can measure, you can manage, and that doesn't change with emotions and relationships as well. So when you can be like, oh, maybe, maybe this is what could be happening for them. I wonder if I can ask or I can observe or I can get curious about. It allows you to have language and framework around it to be like, it's not me because that's what can happen in grief is we start to say, well, why are they not there for me? Or why are they doing this? Or why, you know, it's about that I don't feel safe and comfortable right now, but what's going on? This doesn't feel right. And then you can withdraw or turn outwards from the person that you're normally in relationship with. But I was thinking there, Sal, I don't know whether you guys talk about this, but I was thinking when you were talking about that um, continuum and I love that. I hadn't heard that before. I'd be very interested to see whether how you walk in the world, you could actually be on the opposite side of the spectrum when it comes to grief. You know, you might be a task-focused person, but the moment grief hits, you could swing into needing to sit in the experience, to talk to others, to, you know, or vice versa. I can imagine that it's not who you are and who you think you are and how you like to walk in the world could look very different once grief comes. Absolutely. And that's something that we hear a lot from our listeners is that they've had that experience. You know, they're like high powered career, you know, very much like a doer. They they get stuff done, uh, very process driven, but then absolutely could not do anything practical or really Mm. like were quite surprised by how overcome with emotion and how that debilitated them. It is interesting. Yeah. There's Mm. yeah. Grief can surprise you. And you mentioned a little bit earlier on, as we're talking around, you were unprepared for what laid ahead. And I think we've touched on that a little bit, but I just wanted to open that up a little bit more. What did that mean for you when you said that? I think it was the loneliness of grief how it is so very lonely and isolating, even if you've got good support. Like I had good friends. Like I I knew that people cared about me. Like my friends really showed up for me and I very much felt that support. But it is still lonely because I was 33 when mum died. Not many of my my peers, my mates, people in my sort of social circle and in my world had experienced the sudden loss of a parent at that age. So even though they care for you and they're showing up for you and you, it's hard to articulate and express like what is actually going on for you. So that can feel quite lonely because people say like, how are you doing? And you might go, oh yeah, I'm fine. Because it's easier to say I'm fine than say like, I'm exhausted. I have cried 17 times today. <laughs> I feel like I've got wrinkles in places that I definitely didn't have before mum died. I 
don't feel confident, you know, like, or do they really want to know the truth, you know? So for that reason, I think we can keep our grief to ourselves and we don't express what's really going on. So for me, it was, yeah, I felt this sense of loneliness, you know, I'd lost my mum, who was somebody that was a confident, like, you know, we, we spoke every day and as she was just as she died, basically around that time, I'd actually had a miscarriage when she was visiting in April, 2019, like a couple of days after she arrived, that experience led me to actually question whether motherhood was right for me. And it was a really big question and a really difficult one that I was facing. And she was helping me work through that. And then she was gone. And I felt like it's such a taboo topic to say to people that you actually don't know if you want to have kids. I felt like I didn't have a lot of people that I could talk to that about. And so that was actually very difficult, like on top of losing her, also losing that person that you know you can talk to about anything without any judgment. And then also being an expat. So being away from that really strong support network that I had back in the UK, people that have known you your whole life, you know, that you've got those shared memories with. A lot of my friends here in Australia, they were newish friends, you know, we've been friends for a couple of years. I think I've been in Australia for like five or six years when she died. But they wouldn't have known your mum, they wouldn't have known your family dynamics. You know, I think when we're talking about losing your mum, they're the having people around that knew her, that knew you and her, you know, the good and the bad and the ups and the downs. Totally. And being able to talk about her and share memories about her. Mm. I didn't have any of that as well, which was really. And hear memories of her, you know. Totally. That was lonely and isolating. And even though, like, I think, you know, some of my friends here had met my mum maybe once at our wedding, but that was it. So there were there were quite a few elements that kind of led me to yeah to feeling that that sense of isolation and loneliness. I mean also then about 4 months after she died we entered lockdown. So that didn't help. It's funny you should say that because I was thinking when you were talking about the miscarriage it's grief upon grief. Mm. And then lockdown is grief again, you know, in a different way, but it's that complexity of grief when it's layered because sometimes when we haven't grieved fully or we haven't allowed ourselves to take the space and time to grieve the next time grief hits it's like a double whammy it's compounding effect definitely and I think also grief can make you peel back some layers on previous things that have happened in your life like that's definitely been a thing for me the grief of losing my mum has led to a self-discovery of other things that have been painful and it's it's actually Mm. made me look at other elements it's almost like a trigger point that you then go oh okay well this is uncovering some other older wounds here Mm. so it's been very interesting in that perspective as well but yeah it it definitely 2019 was quite a griefy year for me yeah and I'm curious as to for you did the grief feel similar when you had the miscarriage and then lose or what did it feel completely different you know when you think back to the the experience of those different types of grief did they feel similar not very similar because Mm. the shock of losing mum and the sudden her sudden death and that for me was huge and the miscarriage was a shock and it was really difficult a very I remember when it happened I felt out of body 
like there was this sort of mm. like anxiety and this shock and it was like a, and I felt that when mum passed away as well when I got the news about mum it was like this kind of yeah just out of body experience nothing felt real but but the shock of losing mum because we had that relationship and she was primary attachment and it was different it was and because of everything that comes with it, with you know the death of a parent right having to go to the UK you know your your relationship changes with in so many ways and then you have all the things to sort out it was it was on a much grander scale the grief mm. and the kind of all of the elements and the emotions that come with it so i'd say they were similar and different both really bloody painful <laughs> yeah 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 so hard and and so close together as well mm. yeah and just just both very shocking and that realization that nothing is in your control as well how quickly it can change mm. Yeah, that was really hard. Did you feel anger come up for you at either time? Angry at the world, angry at your mom, angry at the situation, or that wasn't something that you experienced a lot of? I didn't experience a lot of anger, no. I experienced guilt. And, you know, something came up for me a lot with with my experience of grief was frustration, irritability, frustration, that sense, which I think probably comes, falls down from like anger, right? When you say that frustration and that that irritation, what sort of stuff was that? Was that at yourself or at others or at the situation or just was it just there? <laughs> like it was just there all the time. <laughs> a bit of a mix. I would get very frustrated at the situation. I'd get very frustrated with my husband and myself and I had to sell a house from um, the other side of the world during a pandemic, which was really difficult, very stressful. Just every time I had to open an email from the solicitor or deal with any of that stuff, it was just like a reminder of what was happening, that she was gone. It was really stressful, but also like really frustrating because I just didn't want to be dealing with it. It probably took longer than it needed to in terms of the process because I just as someone that's quite practical and faces things normally quite head on, for some reason, when it came to that element, selling the house, I was like, it's just, I just, I just, just too hard. I like, I don't, I can't deal with this today because I think it was like that reality. It brought it up again and again. That was frustrating for me as well, because I just felt like I know I need to be doing, dealing with this, but also it's just, it's just too hard. And that too hard is such a familiar feeling. I'm sure everyone can kind of resonate with that. Some, sometimes it does, it just feels too hard. It's like, I just can't do today. Like I can't do that today. It was too painful. And like, also when you're grieving, like your brain is pretty fried, right? Like it's Mm. brain fog and grief is definitely a thing and I just could not deal with some of the just the you know the technical stuff and it was too triggering so I felt a lot of frustration around that and I just wanted it to be done I don't want to deal with this anymore like you know this feels like it's just keeps dragging up the reminder and the fact that my mum is dead and I just yeah it's 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 too much so that was a big experience of that frustration and just wanting it to be over and feeling frustrated that I couldn't sort it out quicker and also feeling frustrated that I couldn't face it. And yeah, that was a big part of it. We're going to be talking about the podcast in the book, but I know you've immersed yourself in understanding grief and hearing other people's journey and stories around grief. And that has really, you mentioned earlier, has really helped you unpack some of your own and kind of look back and think, Maybe that's what was happening at that time. I guess before we go into the podcast and book, 
when you now look back, if you were standing here today looking back and, and you were talking to your younger self, your 32-year-old, your 33-year-old, what would you say or do for her now with the knowledge and the experience and the understanding that you have? What do you want to say to her? I think I would tell her how important the role of like self-care and looking after herself is and like giving herself permission to not go at 100 miles an hour, to look after herself to go easy, not to not judge too hard about how things were playing out, how my emotions were showing up, how physical the experience was, to give myself as much compassion as possible and not not be so judgmental and also look after myself as well, take really good care of myself. I think that's something that I would definitely, definitely share. Do you think at the time, if you had given all that nurture and that self-care that you would have fallen apart though? (laughs) Like, you know, as I listen to you, I'm like, that's so nurturing and so wise. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I probably needed a little bit of it. Mm. I think I needed a little bit of it to top my battery up because it was just, yeah, it was so low. Do you know how you would have topped it up in hindsight now? Like, are there things that for you personally that might've helped? I think it's like just stopping a bit more. Because I was just like, there was, yeah, I, especially in the first couple of months, there was just so much to do that I was, like I said earlier, it was like tick, ticking things off constantly. And I didn't give myself any breaks or any, like any time really to stop. And I think that depleted me. So I think it would have been just, just actually honoring the fact that you do need to stop and give yourself a break, even if it's small. I just wore myself out. And you mentioned before around the loneliness and I'm just wondering, we've spoken about what you'd say to your 32, 33-year-old self, but what about that loneliness piece in you, that that part that you said just really surprised you in a way, you weren't expecting it and, and it was quite big and you talked about having your support and your people around you. So physically you may not have been lonely, but inside you were lonely. Like it's a lonely road grief. It is. And I shamed myself for feeling lonely. It can feel quite shameful when you feel those feelings of loneliness. What do you mean by that? Are you able to explain that a bit more? I hadn't really experienced the feeling of loneliness before. And so I thought that it was on me. There was a reason why I was feeling that way. And I really judged myself. And it's now that I've started doing the work around grief that I realize it is more common than we realize right but at that time I thought it was just me and I guess it's important to know like that grief is very lonely and if you are feeling lonely if any of your listeners are coping with grief and they're feeling isolated and alone to know that you're not alone in feeling that way and to know there are other people going through a similar experience and that it's a very common feeling after loss even if you have got friends around you to not judge or shame yourself because I think we can yeah it's 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 a very difficult thing to cope with that feeling of 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 aloneness and it can be confusing when you do have support around you because you don't think that you've got a right to be feeling that way so it's knowing you're not alone is 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 a big one when coping with grief because like you say it is a lonely road support is really important Mm. and I think sometimes too we forget that people often leave the house when they're feeling 
capable of leaving, when they feel like they have it just even if it's a 1% in the tank or 3% in the tank, but it's when they feel like they can. And so, so we often see people through their moments of grief when they're a little bit more up than what they are in their very vulnerable moments. So it's easy for us to judge ourselves and think, but everyone else came out of the house or other people seem to be back at work or other people are up and about but maybe that's because we don't see very rarely are we with someone in their darkest moments through grief totally and yeah people aren't gonna be posting a picture on instagram of them like up against the bathroom door like howling or you know smashing something on the floor because they're so frustrated and angry right like they're not like we actually did an Instagram post recently where we asked our community to send in pictures of them grieving because we wanted to show people just how grief has so many different faces. And, mm. and it was really interesting to see like people sent in pictures of them, like smiling with their friends or like on the sofa with like a pizza on their like chest, like, you know, slobbing out or people crying. It was really interesting to be able to show like the many faces that grief has, right. Just cause someone, carries it well as the old saying goes doesn't mean it isn't heavy and I think that people might be having the worst day ever but like you say they leave the house and they've got a front up and people think oh they seem to be doing okay Mm. but what they didn't see is half an hour earlier they were on the floor and they really had to pick themselves up you know Mm, mm. it always inspires me when I hear and talk to our guests and people in my world that have had adversity come and then they've, I don't want to say used because it's its not the word I'm thinking of, but it's like it's its elevated you up into a space that you didn't even know was there, you know, and now the podcast and the book and like this, you, you talked about this being a pivotal moment in your life that directed you in another direction that you may otherwise not have walked. You might have had a different direction. It might have been just as fabulous, but, but this adversity in your life is a clear stepping stone to where you are today. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about where you are today. Like tell us about the podcast and, you know, what have you gained from this experience? So I met Imogen very quickly through a grief support meetup about eight months after mum died. So when I was coming out of that sort of shock a little bit and ready to kind of understand what was going on for me and that loneliness, I wanted that connection with somebody who was experiencing grief at the same time as me who I could talk to really openly and candidly and and a friend that got it that really truly got it and so I met him and we hit it off and we really connected and we both were kind of talking about god grief is so lonely there must be loads of other people out there who are feeling like we did you know and who don't understand what's going on for them and we had a light bulb moment to start the Good Morning podcast. And so we started the podcast as a way to talk really candidly about grief, but also in a way that was like open, honest, and with a bit of humor, because I think that's something that we found both when we were searching for grief resources and things that we could like hold on to and find information from when we were in the early days. Like we just, there wasn't a lot out there we could relate to as two women in our early 30s who wanted to explore a topic but not necessarily in a depressing way so that's what spurred us on to start good morning and it just really quickly just took off and we very quickly built a really engaged community of fellow grievers who just craved a sense of connection and also just honest stories about about loss and about grief and just a really down-to-earth authentic conversations really and and then from that came the book which is called good morning honest conversations about grief and loss and it's very much a grief support group in a book and 
it's written in a way that's very digestible because when you're grieving, you know, you've got a million things going on. Your brain is pretty fried. Nobody's got time to read a hardcore novel, you know, <laughs> a dense book with like 400 pages of text. So it's, it's, it's very, very digestible. And practical, practical. like very practical. It's like, there's a lot of theory that sits behind it. I can, when I read it, I could see the theory that sits behind it, but it doesn't sit heavy in that theory. It's like, from the theory, here's what you need to know, you know, here's what you can do, here's what you can try and here's what you can do for those around you that might be experiencing grief because there's a whole section there for carers or for friends and family or for co-workers. Yeah, absolutely. And we basically created the grief book that we felt was missing, that we needed. A really big part of, of that is stories from other people who are going through loss. And that was something that through the podcast, we really wanted to create a space where you could hear stories from fellow grievers because that sense of connection and that sense of storytelling can be so important in alleviating those feelings of loneliness by hearing from others who are going through it too. And so we bring in stories from fellow grievers, all different types of loss, all different ages. And that's been something that has been really important to us for people to be able to read the book and see maybe a part of their story reflected so they know that they're not alone and the book has been called uplifting by some people which you know to us is the highest compliment because that's what we wanted to create through good morning through the podcast through the book through our content is a platform and a space that talks about a really difficult topic but a topic that we all go through and talks about it in a relatable down to earth and honest way I think we've done that. So, And you used the words earlier about it. often grief is unspoken about. And mm. I think, you know, we all know we're going to experience grief within our life. But at what age do we start teaching our kids about grief? You know, it's one of the reasons why we have so many animals, because they start to learn and understand and unpack grief at an early age. And there's a language that we start to have around it. You know, I say to the girls often, like, you know, this is what grief is and, and how are you feeling and what's that like and yeah. how long are those feelings there and what do you do? You know, like start to have conversations around the grief process at a really early age because we just, it's like we just think we should be able to do it. It's like everyone's just like, well, you experience it, so you just need to be able to do it when it comes, deal with it when it gets there and it's, it's not easy. We can be doing so much Totally. before we get there. And I think it's one of those things that you almost think you're slightly invincible until it happens mm. to you. Or you're not going to feel, you don't realise how big the feelings are going to be yeah. or how much it's going to have an impact on your life. Yeah. Like you said, I think, what did you say? I was so unprepared for what laid ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's like if you knew, you probably would have had some conversations earlier or, or read a book like what you guys have just put on the bookshelf now. Totally. And like for me, when mum died, I was like all of a sudden, like this thing that I knew existed and I knew it was out there. I knew, you know, it was going to happen, but I'd never really given much thought to it. And then all of a sudden, mm. bam, you're like, wow, you know. the experience of grief is absolutely huge. It is all consuming. Like mm. we need to talk about this and we need to talk about this from an early age. Like you say, like we, it's, it's something we do need to prepare for. And that starts with just having conversations about what, what loss is really like and just educating yourself and just speaking more openly about it. What have you gained personally from the podcast and the book? I think for me, the biggest thing that I've gained from the podcast is my friendship with Im. Like it is the greatest thing to come out of a really awful situation and a difficult time in my life is to have it's it's one of those friendships that is just you only get a very, very few of them in a lifetime. 
and the bond we have is is so strong and i'm i think that has been the the biggest thing and then also building a community seeing other people gain connections and get hope from from the work that we've doing that's been incredibly satisfying and it gives me a real sense of purpose to be able to serve people in that way to be able to help other people feel less alone we get hundreds of messages each week saying thank you for your podcast it has some people say it saved me some people say it's been my main source of grief support so hearing that it's genuinely making a difference in the lives of others gives me such a sense of satisfaction and purpose that yes yeah, it's, it's it means so much you know the listeners out there this is something that you may not realize and i i'm the same sal like I have never felt the way I felt with my podcast community because I think I gain more from my community than anything I've ever experienced in my life because they do, they send messages and that feedback's so valuable because it helps us understand how we can help more. But to hear the impact that it can have on people is, I don't know, I've never, yeah, like I said, I've never experienced that before in my life, like through counselling, through coaching, through PT, but in this community it's like, yeah, people say might say it saved my life. It it got me up in the morning. It it helped my friend out. It helped me on my darkest day. And it just it's really an honor and a privilege to be in a position where you can actually get that feedback and to be able to work with such a beautiful community. It is absolutely an honor. You've yeah, spot on with that. It really is an honor. And the other thing that you spoke about with him, I often talk to people about grief can make or break a friendship. And that's a really good example of where it's made yours, you know, and just being aware that your friendship groups and the dynamics of your relationships will change, which we spoke about. But, you know, I think that's a really important thing. Definitely. And just quickly on that point, changing friendships and loneliness is probably the biggest topic that we hear from our community about, the biggest common experience of of loss and so some very quick things that can help with that is understanding that what you need from a friend might change and that can impact your friendships you might be entering a new season of friendships in terms of what you look for in a friend and so that might mean that you kind of change your friendship circle or move closer to some friends and others and that's perfectly fine it's okay and also that friends can play different roles in your life you might have a friend that just doesn't really check in on an emotional level with you but might be the best person to help you find a probate solicitor or you might have a friend that doesn't really ask you many questions about your person and that might bother you but they might be a really good friend if you want a night out to take your mind off things. So I think it's just not writing everybody off, but maybe reframing that some people have different roles and they might be a little bit more on the periphery of your friendship circle, but don't write them off completely because I think sometimes we can be quite quick to go, well, they haven't checked in with me every day. So, you know, they are not the kind of friend that I need in my grief, but actually it might just be that that's not their strongest point. But it also might be that you need different things as well. So I think there are a couple of considerations that can really help. Mm, and you talk about some of that in the book. You definitely do on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, we've got yeah. some. We have a whole chapter on relationships and, and we have a chapter on loneliness that covers 
sort of relationship dynamics and then friendships and coping with loneliness. And then we also have lots of podcast episodes about those topics too. We'll put both of those in the show notes. And how do people find you, Sal? Best place to go is to our website, which is Good Morning. So that's morning with a U dot com dot AU. And then you can find our Instagram, which is at Good Morning Podcast. And then if you type in Good Morning Podcast into any podcast platform, you'll find us. Yeah. And I'd, I'd highly recommend, you know, if you're going through grief, but like we said, if you haven't explored grief before, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm one of those people that thought it won't happen to me or it's going to happen later and I've never actually dived into the world of grief, do it now, do it today, do it this week or this month. Like don't wait until you're in the moment to wonder what tools and strategies you need. Like if you can just start to just perhaps even just listen to one podcast or read one page of the book, you know, it might be just what you need when you go through those really tough challenging times definitely and we've got a whole chapter in our book about supporting somebody who's grieving which is like really bite-sized information and we've got a podcast episode on how to support somebody who's grieving and our book is available on all major book platforms and in all major book stores so yeah hopefully it can help somebody out there and sal i love to finish the podcast we've got like literally two minutes because you've got a meeting what or who in your world truly makes you belly laugh Im makes me belly laugh. Im, you've got to mention a few times on this podcast. You're a special woman. <laughs> One of my best mates, Aisha, who lives in the UK, she makes me absolutely belly laugh as well. And my dogs, because they're just they're just so funny. They make me laugh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sal. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your personal story because it never gets it never gets easy. Oh, thank you for having me, Ali. It's been such a treat to talk with you and I really appreciate you giving grief a platform. And there you have it, folks. What an episode from my unexpected adventures to Fiji to the depths of grief and resilience. I hope you're as inspired and moved as I am by Sally's remarkable story and her mission with Good Morning. Sally, thank you for joining us on the episode of Challenges That Change Us. Your courage and your strength and your dedication to helping others navigate such difficult terrain of grief is truly amazing. If you've been touched by this episode and you found that it resonated with you, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family who might also benefit from Sally's insights and experiences. And don't forget your reviews and feedback mean the world to us. If you could take a moment to leave your review on your favorite podcast platform, it not only helps us reach more listeners, but it also lets us know the topics and stories you'd like to hear in the future. To all the superstars out there, remember life can throw us unexpected challenges, but it's how we face them that defines us. Until next time, stay resilient, stay compassionate, and keep embracing the challenges that change you. See you all next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.